Good morning, everybody, and welcome to episode 171 of the Quickie Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Hopkins, and I got a gem for you today. Now, before we get into it, I want to let you know that it's a bit of a longie, a quickie-ish, if you will. I don't like to go part one on Friday and part two on Monday. I don't want to split it up over the weekend, so I ran with it, and this is the whole episode, one go, one shot. We end up around 50 minutes or so. So buckle up because this is a gem, like I said. Today's guest is Benjamin Howes from Howes Design Service. He's the commander of graphics, the founder, the design chief, if you will, out of Columbus, Ohio. During this episode, we talk about how his mom was a designer, grandfather was an architect, and band posters was his intro to design. 10 bands, 50 bands, 100 bands, not those bands, not those bands, but bands, like music bands. We also talk about the logo that stuck out to him, why, and what it means, what it means to him. We also get into the deeper meaning of his business name, where that came from, and let's just say there's a lot of heart, a lot of heart in it. We, of course, talk about print why print is so powerful, and the beautiful things that only print can do. We talk about the startup struggles of Howe's Design Service, some of the things, the lessons he had to learn and go through. Then right in the end, we talk about the brewery project that he's so proud to have been a part of and the whole story behind it. Now, one other thing I'll say about this is if you're a freestyle hip-hop fan, if you're a a person who admires Pantone colors or enjoys Pantone colors, then you're going to want to stick around right to the bitter end of this bad boy Uh, because Benjamin, as it turns out, is a excellent freestyle rapper. So as soon as I found out, of course, I had to to have him throw some bars down. So I gave him a little boots and cats in the end. And yeah, he freestyle raps about Pantones. Just saying. So let's get to it. It's jam-packed. I didn't even do it justice with my little intro here. Jam-packed. You're going to love it. Don't go away. Listen to the whole thing. Let's get to it. Ladies and gentlemen, my guest, Benjamin Howes. Here we go. Welcome to the Quickie Podcast, the daily interview show where we talk to graphic designers about their journey to the creative field, and we do it in 30 minutes or less. So, are you ready for a Quickie? Good morning, Ben. How are you? Uh, better than I deserve, Dave. How are you? Perfect. I love that answer, and I'm going to have to echo the same thing. I'm doing better than I deserve. Oh uh, well, it's uh, it's actually from another Dave, uh, Dave Ramsey, who's a financial advisor, yep. and uh, I really like his approach to saving money. And I've always loved that because all of us don't, you know, necessarily deserve to be doing that great, but uh, but by some force of luck or will, we are. And uh, I guess perspective is everything. And if you start off a conversation or a day saying that you're doing better than you should be doing, then it sets that standard. By definition, maybe you will become better than you think you should be. So I love it. 
That's so great. I knew of Dave Ramsey, but I didn't know that. So yeah, that's perfect. He's great. So thanks yeah. so much for being a guest on the show today. Um, are you ready for a quickie? Oh, man, always. Perfect. Well, Primed tell- and ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> briefly tell the listeners about yourself, Ben. All right. Well, my name is Benjamin Edward Howes. I live in Columbus, Ohio. I was born in Lancaster, Ohio, and I love Ohio. Um, it is a wonderful place to live. I grew up homeschooled, um, and I grew up um, in a very religious household, so I didn't have a lot of exposure to the outside world, but mm-hmm. nevertheless, and I am a self-taught graphic designer and businessman who has owned his own business for two and a half years at this point. Perfect. So two and a half years into it. Yes, sir. Love it. So before that two and a half years, um, what were you up to? So I went to college at Ohio University and I pursued a degree in organizational communication, which I just saw as an excuse to drink, smoke, weed, and play music. (laughs) And uh, so I was in a fraternity and uh, played bass in a band and – during that time, I learned how to do graphic design because I wanted to make posters for the band. Got it. And um, I just taught myself a lot and um, got a job in Dublin, Ohio, which is just north of Columbus, working for a software company mm-hmm. for a couple of years. And then I took a job as a lead designer and um, environmental producer at a mega church in Lewis Center, Ohio. And then in 2017, while I was in the mountains of Peru, I just had an epiphany that I wasn't really happy where I was, and I'd only be happy if I was, uh, you know, hauling my own weight. So I uh, mm-hmm. respectfully quit my job and started doing this, and haven't looked back since. Awesome. So two questions came out of that. One: What is a mega church? How is a church defined as a mega church? <laughs> oh man, um, is that just so like mega ch- number of people? Yeah. I mean, just think about a mega mart. Like <laughs> it's the Walmart of churches. It's got. It's got tons of people. It's a big open space. It, yeah. Unfortunately, I think it loses some of the transcendent nature you would find in a traditional church. But mm-hmm. um, it's more of a corporate organization as opposed to a uh, transcendent experience, really. Got it. Okay. Uh, and this epiphany you had, that was obviously in Peru, so it must be an ayahuasca thing. And then you just kind of <laughs> – just kidding. No, no, it wasn't actually. I mean, I, you know, we're uh, – we're, uh, if we we're on the DMT show – or I mean, the, I mean the Joe Rogan podcast. Yeah. Uh, no. Um, I was actually on a mission trip to be honest. Uh, yeah. I was up in a, in a town called Yaquin, which is um, in the Andes Mountains just south of Cusco. Mm-hmm. And um, my epiphany was just ent- entirely natural. Um, maybe it was the Peruvian food. I don't know. But uh, uh, I uh, was playing music of playing my guitar up on the mountain alone. And um, I just was actually listening to one of my favorite bands, Blitz and Trapper, out of uh, Portland, Oregon. Mm-hmm. And um, they had a song called um, off of their All Across This Land album, Let the Cards Fall As They May. And it's just kind of about, um, you know, let the cards fall as they may, and may your prayers be answered through and through. And I just thought about the courage that it takes to start something different mm-hmm. and to go out and just give it a try. And I'd always been afraid to put myself out there because of, you know, insecurities that we all face as people. But I just decided to burn the ships and, and go forward. And, uh, yeah. Awesome. That's so cool. I'm glad you did. Yeah, me too. So I want to go back a little bit further than that, Ben, and I want to get into your childhood. I want to ask you what that was like. And do you feel that you had a creative childhood that sort of steered you in this direction? You touched on it a little bit, um, that it was a, you know, a very religious childhood, but how, how did you come about this graphic design thing and how did, what flicked your switch for that? 
Great question. Well, I kind of came across it genetically. My mother, well, my grandfather was an architect uh, in Columbus and uh, grew up in the Mad Men era. And mm-hmm. his house, yes. when I was a kid, I mean, we grew up um, pretty rural. Um, there were four of us. My dad was the only income provider. Mm-hmm. Uh, he worked for the state of Ohio as a naturalist um, and a park manager. But prior to the, prior to us being born, my mom was actually a graphic designer um, who worked for the Anchor Hawking Glass Corporation. Okay. She did pack- packaging design, and she studied fashion illustration and design. And my grandfather was, um, you know, my – I would go to his house, and our house was just kind of, you know, we did whatever we could to get by. My dad worked really hard, and there wasn't a lot to go around because there was four mm-hmm. mouths to – well, six mouths to feed total. And um, But I I'd go to Columbus to visit my grandfather's house, and he had like a Picasso print in his house. And he was one of those kind of guys that – so he had an actual Picasso print that was signed and numbered by Picasso. Jeez. And he looked at it and, and he thought it, it wasn't complete as it was. It was the one of Don Quixote and there's the there's the sun in the background. So my grandfather took a gouache and, and colored the sun in yellow because he thought that that made it better. Completely devalued and, and got rid of any value of that print. But my, my grandfather didn't care because in his mm. mind, that's what the picture needed. And I've always loved that story. And he was one of the most <laughs> inspirational people I've ever met. He was his own man. He did his own thing. He didn't care what people thought of him. And he he traveled on a bus from um, California to Ohio, um, got robbed of the $30 he had in his pocket. And so all he had was a clothes on his back. And was had an, he had an abusive father, uh, mm. an alcoholic. And then he came to a Barberton, Ohio. And from there... He went from having nothing to dying a millionaire multiple times over. And um, I'm just so so inspired by his legacy. And um, so, yeah, as, as a kid, in terms of creative outlet, um, a couple things. My mom was a good artist, but she wasn't necessarily the best teacher, which was actually a wonderful thing because it gave me a lot of time to learn on my own. Mm-hmm. And so um, I was such a rambunctious child that I had to actually take an afternoon nap until I was nine years old. And what I <laughs> nice. did – I would uh, draw this cartoon called Bird Brain, and um, it was about this bird that like skateboarded on a cloud and flew around the sky, and um, it just really taught me to be creative from a young age. And I also lived on about 60 acres of woods, so I'd go out in the woods and just, you know, Lord of the Rings, play that, pretend that, Civil War, my buddies and I would fight the Civil War, King Arthur. Um, I really didn't have a lot of friends because we were pretty isolationist because of religious reasons, mm-hmm. but I learned how to make friends with myself and I learned how to create my own world. And, um, I, looking back, that was probably the greatest thing that could have happened to me because that's what an artist has to do all the time, create mm-hmm. a vision and then implement it in reality. Very true. So you, that grandfather, so your mom was a designer and your grandfather, he was sort of the, the ad executive and he was in that madman era. Is that the... Well, he was an architect. Architect, so, got it. Yeah. So, but but he was very much in that era. Like his house was full of. In fact, that glass table behind me and the couch. Uh, you can't really see it, but there's a couch over there. Mm-hmm. Those are from my grandfather's collection, as well as the the uh, rug that he got in uh, Istanbul, which is on my floor, and the desk that I'm actually sitting at right now. My grandfather stole from the Ohio State University and used it <laughs> as his work desk and his drafting table. And so I honor his legacy by bringing it into my home, and I, I everything I make is on his desk, and in a way, it's a tribute to him. That's incredible. Very cool story, Ben. So I'm curious now as to what stands out as the most influential design of your life so far then. Well, yeah. Go ahead. Did you have something else to say? No, I mean, basically just what what something that you saw that has just stuck with you? 
Um, well, from a young age, um, it was two things. Um, the McDonald's logo, weird enough as that was, um, yeah. I, uh, I, I was born in a, in a town that was pretty small and we didn't really get to go out to eat often. Mm-hmm. And every time I go into town, I, I would see the McDonald's logo and it symbolized something to me. It's like, there's something about that that's cool like there's an experience i mean i don't think that anymore but as a kid i'm like there's happy meals there there's a playpen there you know there's all this fun stuff and every time we travel or go on vacation whenever i would see the mcdonald's logo i knew that that symbolized an experience that i could have that was similar to the one that i had my hometown so i think from a really young age i really recognized because that's one of the first things that i remember seeing was just being mystified by this m and that was yellow. Like, what does it mean? Why does it look like that? Like, why why does this building have this M? And why mm. is this M in every town that I go to? And then I started to realize that it, it was an ambassador for an experience. So that's number one. And number two, an influential design was the uh, Chessie System uh, train logo, which is a circle, and it had a cat in it. When I was a little kid, um, I was it was like a cat in a negative space. I was a huge fan of trains, and I don't know why, I just loved them. And so my parents found me this old Chessie system sign and I had it in my room. And when I was in my bunk bed, I would just stare at it. It just, I'm like, this is so cool. I'm like, it's not an illustration, a lifelike illustration of this cat. It's a circle that has something cut out, but I can tell that that's a cat. And that just fascinated me as a child. And, you know, I didn't have the confidence or the foresight back then to think that I'd ever be able to do something similar, but now I have. Very cool. And do you still have that sign? Uh, no, I think it's in my parents' house. Maybe I'd have to ask him. That's, that's a good question. Time to get that up on the wall, son. Yes, sir. It's, <laughs> it's the, cor- the cornerstone of, of my creative house. Yeah, yeah. For sure. <laughs> exactly. Um, Ben, so I want to know now who are some of the designers and the brands that you look up to and closely follow? And is there a theme or something about them that you like or what about them do you like? Yeah. Um, am I allowed to swear on this podcast? Yeah, go for it. Okay. I hate bullshit. And there's a lot of bullshit in the design world, man. I mean, it's just a lot of blowing smoke up everybody's ass. And so I look, I look at the greats first and foremost. You know, your Lance Wyman, your, your, uh, your you know, uh, Paul Rand, Saul Bass, mm-hmm. Massimo Vignelli. I mean, those guys were the forefathers of graphic design. I mean, even going back to the Bauhaus movement and a rush to constructivism, Paul Renner, um, person who really was a gamer for me was Aaron Draplin. And I'm sure that's probably the case with a lot of people. But for me, I always thought that I could never become a designer because I thought that designers were from New York City or Los Angeles or someplace cool like London or whatever or, you know, Helsinki. And mm-hmm. I thought that they always wore black turtlenecks and, like, looked down upon people. And I came from poverty. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I, I've called House Design Service because my dad, after he stopped being a ranger, had a, um, a business called House Remodeling Service. And um, it was – construction in people's homes and his Mm -hmm. motto was building quality into your home and my motto is building quality into your brand so what i loved about draplin was his no bullshit no nonsense approach the man is a machine he gets things done he honors his word he has integrity and honor and respect and Mm -hmm. he's been wildly successful not because he's trying to hype anything or sell bullshit but because what he's doing works and he puts in the work and he knows his client and he has the confidence behind his work to really put it out in the world and stand behind it Mm -hmm. and i feel like a lot of designers that i see in columbus and elsewhere have such an insecurity about their work and a timidness about it and Mm. dude i come i come from nothing 
and I got nothing to lose. So I might as well swing for the fences, get in the ring, and try to go all five rounds. That's what I try to do with all my clients every single time. Such a cool statement. I love how you worded that. You know, swing for the fences. Just go for it. What have you got to lose? Nothing. And you know what? If you don't go for it, if you've always wanted to go for it, you don't, you're going to lose respect for yourself. And every other time in life you're challenged, whether it's in a relationship, whether it's professionally, um, whether it's even achieving a goal, Mm -hmm. you're going to think to yourself, I can't. But every time you, you tell yourself you can and you do, you're just building that foundation of strength and uh, confidence and follow through. And that's why I really respect what you're doing is because I've seen the track record of podcast after podcast. You believe in your business model. You believe in your proposition that this is a valuable content that people can use. And I'm attracted to people like that. And that's why I reached out to you on my own volition because I'm like, I want to be a part of what this guy's doing because he's doing it. That's super cool to hear. That's so encouraging. Um, half the days I still think I don't know what I'm doing. So it's, I appreciate that. Well, you have that. everybody fooled, so good job. <laughs> Excellent. It's all working. You know, yes, but uh, what you said before that is, you know, losing respect for yourself and what do you, just do it. Just do it. Um, I need to, uh, I'm going to listen to that on replay. I love Just do it. That. Yeah. that would be an awesome marketing tagline for some shoe brand or something. Yeah. Mm. Where would that, that would be a good fit for something. <laughs> We should try. Yeah. <laughs> keep that keep that little nugget just save it for something you never know <laughs> watch out for the copyright that's all i'm saying oh yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> they're, they're already probably sending me letters yeah, yeah exactly the emails are already hitting the inbox <laughs> oh, yeah. um ben i want to get into a little bit of print and packaging and i want to hear how you have utilized print and print design in your design career and any stories around that that you have to share or projects absolutely well So I think of like creativity as sort of a fire, right? Mm -hmm. It's like a Promethean fire that comes from this elusive transcendent realm. And we who are brave enough to do the creative uh, path will walk up to that and bring it back down. But we're spoiled, man. I mean, we have these computers, we have these devices that we're able to share stuff all the time, but there's nothing as powerful as something that is, that is printed Mm -hmm. because it's, it's of substance. And you know, you think back to like the illuminators of manuscripts in Ireland, or you think back to Byzantine art or really any cultural art. And what that is, is the the soul of that culture um, expressed in a way that language can't comprehend. And that's passed down through millennia. And, and we can still, in our current state, you know, in our quote unquote evolved state of consciousness, we can look back to these primal artworks, even cave paintings and say, these people really weren't that different from us. And so... For me, that's what the philosophical answer to the question, but the specific answer to the question is that I worked at a print shop for a while. Uh, I learned how to screen print, learned that entire process, um, and it really taught me actually a lot about the limitations of screen printing, which mm-hmm. has helped me in my in my work and my process. Um, it's helped me refine and simplify my concepts and ideas. Um, I've also worked on um, created several posters, and I work with uh, Upright Press here in Columbus, Jess, Hish, uh, Jess Hinshaw, a really great guy. Um, he's done some, some silk screen prints for me as well. And in my former life at a software company and at the church, I would work with, uh, printers all the time to get stuff done. And I learned, of course, a lot about bleeds and man, that confused the hell out of me at the beginning, but I learned a lot about how, how bleeds work, why they work. And I think it's important to know the limitations of print because it helps you deliver a more cohesive product as a designer. Mm -hmm. So 
hopefully that answers your question. Yeah, definitely. You know, it just screams to, you know, print is so powerful still. It will be for a long, 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 long time. And, yeah. you know, arguably even more relevant now that everybody's in the digital age. Well, how are you going to stand out? It's not with an Instagram ad now. It's not no. with a Facebook ad. It's a, no. little, it's a little bit with email still, but not the way it used to be. How can you get somebody's attention? You put something tangible for that speaks to your brand mm-hmm. in their hands, in their mailbox. That's going to get more attention. And I'll tell you what to add to that. Print is, is confidence in motion. Because mm-hmm. if you truly believe in what you're doing and you go through the process and pay the expense to get it printed, it means you believe in your work. Mm-hmm. And it means that what I'm creating is valuable and it's worthy of being hung in someone's house or mailed to someone or being shared. It's worthy of being remembered. And the problem with digital stuff is it's very ephemeral. It's here today, gone tomorrow, scrolled past. But when you get something printed, it's almost like a mile marker on a trail you know, or on a road saying, this represents a time in my life where I thought that this was important enough for me to say mm-hmm. so much to the effect that I got it printed. And on the consumer side of that, if it's a beautiful print piece, that is sticking around their house for years. Mm-hmm. and will right. consistently be revisited. Um, the episode actually that just went up today, um, James from Baby Giant Co. or Baby Giant Design Co. He's out of the UK. He produced mm-hmm. a lookbook for his own brand, Baby Giant Design. And mm-hmm. he said that he printed like 50 or 60 copies of this thing, but it cost him 6,000 pounds, like British pounds. Wow. So that's a lot of dough. Um, yep. But he has more than made his money back in the impact of that piece because he sent it to prospects, he sent it to customers, and it just got shared. And like you said, when you put something in print, it's that marker. Here I am. This is the amazing things I'm doing. You should be a part of it. That's what it says. Yes, sir. That's awesome. right. And it, it's, a, it's saying, I believe in my work enough to send it to you and to put it out. And yes. Confidence is – confidence is it's, it's easy to it, – it, it's easy to project, but it's hard to actually own. Yes. And the only way that you own confidence is by challenging yourself, putting yourself up to scrutiny and saying, despite what anybody says, I believe my work is worthy enough to be shared and to be observed and to be cherished in someone's home. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a game changer. Love it. All right, Ben, time for the tough stuff. The next few questions I have for you go through some of the challenges that you've experienced in your career. And uh, I want to pull the lessons out of that and the stories out of that and share that with the listeners. So what has been the most challenging time in your design career so far? Why was it challenging and how did you get through it? Wow. Okay. Um, I would say the most challenging was when I first started. So, you know, I, I, I grew up um, not really being self-assured. Mm-hmm. I, I, I've had to work for everything. Um, mindset, you know, I work out at the gym, like at my business, my wife, like I just celebrated five years of marriage with, I mean, everything in life that's worthwhile. Thank you. Um, it's here's another 50, you know, or yeah. more. <laughs> um, but, um, Everything in life of value requires work and sacrifice. There is nothing – something that is easily given is not, is not appreciated and not earned. You have to earn what you, what you do in life. Mm-hmm. you know. Um, and so when I was 18, I was just kind of a shithead really and um, I had learned these lessons. And I had some buddies and so there's a place next to um, 
uh, Lancaster called Rock Mill. And okay. what it is is it's this old grist mill that's beside this like uh, cliff. And you jump off the cliff. Well, it's kind of a rite of passage. You jump off the cliff into this 60-foot pool of water. And my friends brought me there. And my other friends had done it before. And they jumped off. And they're like, we're not going to leave until you jump off this cliff. And I was terrified because, you know, what if I die? What if this? What if that? All these what-ifs were in my head. And I'm not kidding. I stood up there for an hour and ten minutes. And they said, we're not leaving until you jump. And so I did. I jumped. And it was so terrifying at first, but so exhilarating because yeah. as, as I pencil dove into this water, all the fear just vaporized off of me. And I just went down to this deep place, like way deeper than normal. Yeah. And I just felt like I was transcendent. And then the water pushed me back up, came back to me. And I realized at that moment that if I had the courage to do it then, and I had the courage to do it at 18, no matter what came my way, I'd be able to make it through. And the first couple months of freelance was, was really slow. Um, you know, I, I was just in, in my, you know, you know, are you married? Yep. You have a kid, right? Okay. Yeah, I've got three kids and I've been married 11 years, 2012 years now. Oh, huge congratulations, sir. Thanks. On both being married that long and for having three kids. That's incredible. Thank you. But, um, you know how, you know, if, if you're married, your wife wants security and she wants to know that the checks are coming in and, as a man, I think a big part of um, our makeup um, lies in the fact – I'm sorry. Let me – my phone did not disturb. I should have done that before. Um, a big part of that comes from being able to provide. And so mm-hmm. for the first mm-hmm. couple of months, I was bringing in – I mean just shooting shooting straight with you about maybe $200 a month, which is yeah. nothing. No, nothing. Um, and it was terrifying, man. Mm-hmm. I mean and, – and I, and I was like, is this the right thing? And fortunately, I have a good wife who's like, Ben, she's like, just give it time. It's going to yeah. work out. And um, what I started doing was I'm like, okay, well, if there's no work, I'm just going to start cre- – and what I tried to do at first was be a jack of all trades and make the kind of work that other people were doing, copying trends, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm like, you know what? If there's no work, I'm going to go make work. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to create stuff that I love and I'm going to start writing about it on Instagram. I had about maybe 800 followers at this time or mm-hmm. less. I'm going to just start making stuff that I like and I'm going to start writing about it and giving context to why it matters to me. And so I started doing that and kind of in that process, I, I inadvertently kind of came upon my signature style and, um, you know, at first I copied Draplin a lot because I really liked what he did. It was easy. Let's be honest. Like Mm -hmm. some of his stuff looks easy, even though there's so much thought behind it. But eventually I started to branch away from that and really kind of find my own niche in this thing. And, Starting about maybe January of 2018, mm-hmm. work started rolling in, and it hasn't hasn't stopped rolling in since. I mean, I've got to work on some great stuff, and I'm really not here to talk about the stuff I've worked on because I I don't care you know about that. Like you can see my Instagram, but I, I grew my Instagram from like you know 800 followers to almost 10,000 followers, and ever since I've always kind of made a promise to myself that I'm only going to post and I'm only going to work on projects that are meaningful to me. Mm -hmm. I've done that ever since and I've got to work for some great clients, but never once have I done a job that I didn't feel was me. And the cool thing is people come to me for my style. They don't come to me and ask me to ape or rip off somebody else's style. And uh, I just take a lot of pride in that. And that was a huge challenge, but I worked through because I had that burn the ships mentality. There is no going back to the corporate world for me. Mm -hmm. I love being sovereign over my life. I love being in command of my 
my life. And once you taste that air, once you see how sweet it is, it's hard to go back down the mountain and, and, and sling mud in the village. Totally. Once you taste that air, totally true. You know, I loved how you explained that, you know, when you first make that cut to freelance, you go, I'm going to do my style, my thing, my way. And that's how I'm going to do it. And then a couple of months where you're only a couple hundred bucks, like, okay, no, I'll, I'll do whatever it takes. I'll do whatever I can do to make some money. And then you start doing that, but then you get that feeling that this is not right. You know, you, you left and you went to go freelance to do you, and now you're doing everybody. You're doing it for financial reasons, not for the love of it. Now you get back to you. It's that curve that, you know, the, the classic bell curve in, in the journey, right? Yep. So I loved how you explained that. Um, I want to get a little bit more specific now with the next question. I want to hear okay. about a specific design or a specific project that you were a part of that didn't go well or bring the desired result. What was that like? How did that feel? Take us to that story. Yeah, I have a great example of this and right. a, prof a professional failure of mine that I'm not ashamed of or not afraid to talk about. Um, part of the journey. Oh yeah, and taught me a lot about my own character too. It was back last year, 2018. Um, I had been approached by CSCA, which is the Columbus Society of Communicating Arts, mm -hmm. and they do this uh, Pinewood Derby every year, and uh, it's really fun, like a Boy Scout Derby. Mm -hmm. and they wanted me because I, I kind of have a 70s aesthetic and psychedelic quality to some of my work, and they wanted that um, to be the theme. And so I was approached by the president of that organization, and she asked me to to spearhead the project and lead it, and I said I would. Well, I didn't realize how much work it would be, um, and instead of committing to what I said I would do and and giving my all into it, throwing my whole back into it, mm -hmm. I and I had a team. I worked with a guy who actually I have a lot of respect for. Um, and he actually shouldered a lot of the work. Um, I, I I ran from a lot of the responsibilities because it was hard work and it was more than I wanted to do, mm -hmm. even though I had said that I was going to do it. And man, I felt such a great shame in that because I knew it wasn't my best work. Mm -hmm. I knew that I was letting them down and I didn't abandon the project. Um, I mean, I stuck with it. I, I did the bare minimum. We had the event. The event was great. Sorry. But, um, but I knew in my own consciousness that I had failed um, I had failed to lead, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't have leadership. I made a lot of excuses. I said I was busy, the, the classic bastard of excuses. Mm -hmm. Um, and I didn't commit to what I committed to do. And man, that is, that haunts me every day, but it's like, it's like one of those painful memories that always just spurs you on to, and what I learned that day is, is back then that was in early 2018 and I was just starting to get some momentum going mm -hmm. and I, I was very concerned with celebrity and perception, how people thought about me mm -hmm. and kind of being this design celebrity person. And as a result, I said yes to things that I, that I didn't have the bandwidth for or the mm -hmm. experience for. Yep. And I learned, I learned from that, that the most powerful thing you can say, the shortest thing you can say, and the hardest thing you can say is no. Mm -hmm. and I've learned how to say no now. I mean, I get projects that are pitched to me that either I don't want to, the person might be kind of a dick or the money is not what I need. No. Back then I operated from a mindset of scarcity. I was yes. always afraid that if I didn't say yes to this, then I wouldn't, wouldn't make it. Mm -hmm. Now I'm confident enough in my skill set and in my vision and in my communication that I operate from a position of abundance. And mm -hmm. if I say no to some low-hanging fruit, that leaves more room on the tree for some 
more choice prime high hanging fruit yep. and it always comes my way. And so I've also learned from this entire thing that your word is your bond and that a man without respect and honor is no man. He's just a boy and there's plenty of boys in this world. But I, I endeavor the hard task of being a man. And that means I got to do what I say I'm going to do. So if I say I'm going to do something, I follow through to the letter, even if it inconveniences me and makes me uncomfortable. And if for some reason I can't do it, I will do everything I can to make that right with that person. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, I heard it said that respect uh, is like a bucket. Mm -hmm. It's like a bucket full of water. And it just takes 30 seconds to empty, but it takes years to fill back up drip by drip by drip Mm -hmm. and i just would rather not knock over any more buckets of respect man life's too short for that totally it's so true you know and you know men women especially anybody out there starting a business the hardest thing to do is maintain integrity especially when you're operating from that scarcity mindset of yikes this might not be like you know when you got bills to pay that's real life scarcity yeah so it's it's a huge challenge to be able to, to be able to say no, to have the confidence and the integrity to say no to things that you, like you said, you may not have the bandwidth for the proper skill set for and that sort of thing, right? Sort of, you know, it's, it's like the saying, stay in your lane. But, you know, I, I don't like that saying too much, because everybody <laughs> needs to explore a little bit. But Indeed. yeah, similar things. Um, so Ben, what is something you're struggling with in your design career right now? I would say the number one thing I'm struggling with is scalability. Um, my business is growing um, at, a, at a slow but steady rate. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm getting, as I execute work for my clients, I'm getting repeat clients, and then I'm also getting new clients. And cool. I think you'll know, um, if you have your own business, I'm sure anyone can empathize with this, that when you own your own business, you have to wear tons of hats. Yes. I mean, I and I, and I, I believe in and maintaining autonomy over my business. So I touch every aspect of it because it's my reputation on the line and Mm -hmm. I can't afford to sully that. So I do everything from emails to invoicing to accounting to obviously design Mm -hmm. to communication and brand development. I do copywriting. I I do it all because it has to be done. And um, the biggest problem I have is that I feel like I'm in the weeds so often with stuff, with, you know, correspondence, with replies, with revisions, with estimates, that it's hard for me to get in that flow state. But what I'm trying to work on is not let that be a hindrance or an excuse to me. I'm trying to think of ways to hack my time to use that to my advantage. Like, Mm -hmm. how do I be more productive? Like, how can I use this challenge as a leverage to help me get to this next tier in my -hmm. my professional career? And um, I think it's been good. I mean, I think challenge and hardship um, and frustration, if you allow it to teach you, is some of the best instructors that you'll ever have. Yes. And so I'm figuring out ways to do that. I'm, for example, I'm, I'm, my wife is actually a project manager, so for her job, and I'm asking her for help, her insight. I'm optimizing my calendar better. I'm using Asana to organize my workflow, my projects, just cool. trying to remove as much friction as possible from the low-hanging like weeds kind of stuff mm-hmm. so I can devote more time to the actual uh, – work, inspirational work. Mm-hmm. So one thing, I don't know if you've explored this at all, that has helped me because, you know, working full time in an industry that I love and mm-hmm. wanting to do an, a podcast where I publish interviews five days a week, you know, yeah. and I have very ambitious goals for 2020 in order to maintain all of that and still be a husband, still be a father, that sort of thing. I found that batching my time 
is best. Hmm. So I pick one day per week um, and I book all of my interviews, five to seven interviews in one day. And because once you're in that interview mode, boom, 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 you know, you can go through interviews, you're in the groove, you're connecting with people, you know, you just open up the interview channels of your brain that aren't necessarily open when you're focused on your screen and you're doing some content, you're writing or whatever else you're doing, right? So on the freelance side, and I've heard this from a few guests who do freelances batching their days, one day is their accounting day, one day is their email and estimate day, the rest of it, creative design, the work. And that's really hard to maintain because you don't really control the deadlines all the time. So that can sometimes mess with your flow. But pushing for that and being as close to that as possible just keeps you in those separate channels of your brain, those separate grooves, and allows you to do your best work on that specific task without distractions, without diversions, without worrying about, oh, I got that next, I got that next. So if you haven't tried it, it, throwing it out there. Yeah, I like it because it sounds like it eliminates that crosstalk. Like, I feel like that, as you know, as a creative person, um, I feel like it takes a certain amount of energy and focus and clarity to get into that other, that flow state, right? It's really like a a trance-like state. It's a state where you're connecting into this other realm, which does exist, um, and you're tapping into that energy field and and bringing like Prometheus, all those ideas down. Mm -hmm. But every time something distracts you, that's why, man, I I need this thing, but man, I hate this thing at the same time, dude. It's like, yeah, I mean, it's necessary for business and, and what I tried to do, I guess I love that advice. I'm going to try to implement that in my life. But mm-hmm. one thing I, I try to do is similarly is build momentum too. Like I work out four to five times a week. I'm nice. always trying to, to change my PR on, on, you know, bench and everything like that, squat, um, deadlift. Um, and I also try to make time in my life for people because I, I found that spending time with people and not just because I think a lot of designers are introverted. I'm actually introverted by nature, but my dad is um, is, a, is incredible with people, and he's an extrovert. And I really learned from him that so much of the wheels of business and success are based on your network. Like your network determines your net worth, mm-hmm. you know. And um, so I, I I find that spending time with others as well and getting that into my week, um, usually people whose values that are like I'm, I'm good friends with a guy who owns a uh, video production and creative agency in Columbus. I'm friends with a guy who's a very successful doctor. Um, I try to spend time with aspirational people who I admire yes. and try to cut out of my life people who are going to drag me down. If, if people are dramatic and they are, you know, all they care about is their issues. I don't. I have no time for those people mm-hmm. because that. that it's like when you have your phone open, you have a bunch of apps open and it slows down your RAM. Like those people slow down my RAM and I got to be agile because I got shit to do. Yep. And so I try to spend time with people that edify me. And I find that being around those people also stirs up that creativity in me. Um, there's a, a quote that I actually want to read to you, um, if you'll permit me to. And it's one of my, it's from the Havamal. Um, and it's one of my favorite quotes. Hold on, I got to get back on my Wi-Fi. Let's get it. But, uh... Stand by, edit this, that part out. Oh, okay. no, man. We're going to keep that in there. <laughs> <laughs> Dang it. Now you guys know I'm not perfect. <laughs> no, but uh, there's this quote, and it's, uh, um, I was young once, and I wandered alone. The wide road was bewildering. I didn't know much. 
Then I met a friend, and I felt very rich, for man is ever the joy of man. Havamal 47. And I think that really applies to our life because we are not a collective of individuals. Mm -hmm. We as species are an individual collective, right? Mm -hmm. Like all of us are different nodes, different manifestations of the same consciousness. And every time we spend time with someone else that we admire, we see things of ourself in them that we Mm -hmm. can bring back into our personality. And we, they see things in us that they can take and and bring into their personality. And we as a collective unit grow stronger. That's why I don't really believe in having enemies or, I mean, I'm very competitive. I like to win, but if I beat someone in a competition, I'm not going to trash talk them. I'm going to try to help them back up and help them be better equipped to beat me next time mm-hmm. because the goal is mutual survival. And the way the world is right now, is just pathetic because you have people always yelling about how right they are, but not backing it up with their actions or, I mean, not everybody, but a lot of people especially younger people. Um, everybody's got a, everybody's got a voice, but if everyone's screaming at once, nothing is being heard. And I'm a firm believer that right action and uh, integrity and um, respect, someone who's got those things doesn't even need to talk because mm-hmm. they carry the mantle of the consciousness of the species with them. Mm-hmm. And that causes things to shift and change inside of this temporal realm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So, Ben, I'm going to turn this bus around for you, man. I've been grilling you on the tough stuff. I yeah. now want to hear about a project that you've been a part of that you are the most proud of, the one that just makes your heart sing. Mm. Wow. Let me think about that for a second. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of them that I'm the most proud of. Ah, I know exactly what it is. In fact, I have an example right here. (laughs) Perfect. This can of beer. Yes. Um, So I'm proud of this because it's brewed in my hometown. And I grew up in Lancaster, Ohio, which was founded by the Germans in 1803. And um, a bunch of hardworking folk, good people, they built – it's on the canal on the, on, on the Hawking River. Mm-hmm. There was a canal through there, and the railroad went through there. And the factory, uh, the Anchor Hawking Glass Factory that my mom worked at, mm-hmm. was was what made the town what it was. It was the pride of the town. But then in the eighties, it uh, got bought by a. So before this happened, there was you know the recession of the nineteen seventies hit under the Carter administration, and because of the oil crisis and everything, mm-hmm. and there was a big fear that the plant would close. So people all over Lancaster rallied together to raise enough money to save the factory. And they mm-hmm. did. Wow. But the re- but they saved it and the, the company did something terrible and they used that, that cash to position it to be bought by a, a vulture private equity firm in the 80s who bought it, sold it into a bunch of pieces and pretty much bet against it. And what was once the and territory and you know the the heart the, the heartbeat of industry in our town was 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 pretty much set off to die mm-hmm. by people who all they wanted to do was make a quick buck and man that pisses me off more than anything else because that's the soul of the town crushed by people in suits and necktie nooses that never actually came to my hometown and saw the damage that they inflicted mm-hmm. and in the subsequent years the only jobs I mean there's a hospital there but a lot of the jobs are our administration for the city or retail or fast food 
but that but that engine of pride and industry has has pretty much ground to a halt mm. and hurt my community and it, it's it's a pain that i carry every day because i know so many people that have succumbed to opioid addiction and have become heroin addicts because they don't have any hope mm-hmm. and um you know say what you want about the capitalist system and i mean i'm a i i'm a part of it but man it has a way of really crushing up the little guy and i don't like that very much but i had the chance to create this lager and um it was made by Outer Belt Brewing, then they are in Lancaster. And mm-hmm. um, so I got to build this. And if you see right here, there is this is their logo, Outer Belt Brewing. Okay. And if you see right here, that's an anchor. And that's uh, anchor, representing kind of similar to the Anchor Hawking logo. I didn't steal their actual IP, but that's similar to it, representing that foundation of our community. And if you see behind it, um, so Lancaster is in Fairfield County. So the the um, the hops here and the wheat is is an homage to the fair fields there and behind it it's really thin but you can see a, a grid map of of Lancaster. Oh, cool! And so every time I drink this beer or look at this can, I'm reminded where I come from, mm-hmm. and I'm reminded that even though we've been tested and tried, just like all of us in life. There are still people coming like Outer Belt Brewing that are investing in that community, that are bringing industry there, that are bringing good jobs there. And the spirit of the working class will not be broken mm-hmm. because we're proud people and we stand up for our right to exist and to have a good life. So I think that's the thing I'm most proud of. I love it. And I love the story behind it. And I love how you, you know, paid homage to you know all of those pieces in that label design. So well done, Ben. Thank you. Um, it's a good beer too. If you ever get your hands on it, it's uh, one of the best damn lockers I've ever had. Perfect. I'm looking forward to that. Got to try and find that up in Vancouver here. Um, well, you won't. So come out to Columbus sometime. And it's an all- <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Perfect. Um, ben, you've reached the point of the show for the ask it forward question, man. That's where I have a question for you from my last guest and you get okay. the opportunity to ask a question of my next guest. I'm not going to tell you who they are, but you can ask them anything. So this question from my last guest is a bit of an easy one, but it also could be hard really depending on how honest you want to be. Mm. (laughs) Uh, So my previous guest was Sean Adams. He owned a design agency for a long time. He had some partners who owned a design agency uh, for 20 plus years. He's now a instructor in California teaching design to the next generation of great designers. He's been in the game a long while. His okay. um, agency actually was behind designing the Nickelodeon logo. Oh wow, that's, that's so, awesome! Yeah, he's a bit of a heavy Ooh. hitter. Bit of a heavy hitter in the game. So his Hopefully question I can handle his question. Oh, yeah. uh, no problem, Ben. <laughs> his question is: What is something embarrassing that people don't know about you? Oh my gosh! <laughs> oh gosh. Okay, I got I got an answer for that. All embarrassing. Right. I'm not really embarrassed about much, man. I mean, I, I try to live a life um, that I can just put my whole weight behind, and I, mm-hmm. I don't really have that many secrets, man. I mean, I'm, but there is one thing that embarrasses me, but seems to delight a lot of people when they find <laughs> out I can do it. I'm actually a very good freestyle rapper. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. Don't I'm test gonna, me. No, no. Ben. <laughs> ben. I, I'm going to give you some boots and cats here. And I, okay. I want you to throw down something. Just well, to, we're gonna have a la- we're gonna have a lag though, right? It's is it, is it media over Skype. Uh, yeah, I think it should be all right. All right, all right, I'll do it. What do you want me to rap about? Um, pan- pantones. Pant- pantones. Pantone colors. 
<laughs> oh man. Okay, that's. I don't know that much about Pantech colors, but I'll do my best. Okay, I'm, not, right. very, I'm um, not very good at, um, you know, the the cast. the yeah. The... <laughs> Love it. Wait, is that, is that right. right? Is that right? Yeah, man. As long as it's a four four time, I can handle it. All right, here we go. Uh, when I got my homies on the phone, you know that we be representing Pantones. They got a lot of colors, CMYK. They help your prints come out okay. Yeah, if you avoid them with RGB, your prints not going to have good destiny. So do your best to know the rest. When it comes to Pantone, you pass the test. Word. Oh, my God. <laughs> ben, that's amazing. Okay, uh, well, well done. Well, he, he he successfully embarrassed me, so I think I'm a little red in the Success. face now. Success, <laughs> I love it. That's but, awesome. But but I don't back down from a challenge, so I, right. I had to do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm gonna implement the old slow clap uh, in the editing here. This is <laughs> Ben. What is the question you would like me to ask the next guest? Well, I don't want to embarrass my next guest, so or your next guest. So I would know? say. Oh, no, I don't, I don't. Uh, I would say, um, next guest, what is the best piece of advice in any arena of life, whether it's design, business, relationships, et cetera, because they're all intrinsically linked, Mm -hmm. that you would give your 18-year-old self? Love it. Ben, I'm going to ask that question of my next guest. Do it. You've reached the end of the show, man. Thank you so much for your time and being on the Quickie Podcast today. I really appreciate it. We both survived. We're both still here. We somehow <laughs> both made it through. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much for your time, man. I really appreciate hey, it. Hey, hey, I just, I, I just want to say one final thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I really appreciate what you do. Um, this is really important to get, because like I said, we are a collective of individuals. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like what, what you're doing is creating the lore of this time and era in graphic design. And you know, with the uh, permanency of podcasting, mm-hmm. people might listen to this. Cause I listen to the old, old designers. I'm not saying that I'm a great designer, but like Rand and, you know, Saul Bass and these guys, mm-hmm. I find their old videos on YouTube and listen to those for inspiration. And what you're doing is you're creating an aggregate of all this great content that not only influences people now, mm-hmm. but will influence people for decades and maybe even millennia to come. And I think that's very noble work, and I honor you for it. So thank you for doing what you do. Thank you so much, Ben. It means a lot to me. It really does. And uh, I hope in 10 years' time, somebody stumbles across this interview and goes, damn, this was Ben just before he hit it big, just before he was worldwide, just before. <laughs> yeah, man. The, the, my, by then, my rap singles will be going up the charts, That's man. true. So true. The old town roads of the future. Yeah, so. there'll be pictures of you and Kanye <laughs> hanging out together or something. I can't, I can't stand that guy, dude. There's okay. no way. <laughs> we'll pick somebody else. <laughs> Kendrick Lamar. Me, me and Kendrick can kick it. That guy's, okay. that guy's tight. Sir so, Mix yeah. a lot, maybe? Maybe he's still... Maybe just for the irony, yeah. There you go. <laughs> boots and cats and boots and cats and boots and cats and boots and cats. I gotta practice that. That was not great on my part. On his part, it was great. On my part, it was not so great. Um, thank you so much for listening and for sticking around for this long episode. I know I went past it, but I'm sure you will understand why and appreciate it. So thank you again. And if you are loving what you're hearing on the Quickie Podcast, please head over to the podcast app on Apple or iTunes or Spotify, wherever you are listening, and leave a rating or a review for the podcast rating and a review if you're feeling like in the giving spirit. 
And um, yeah, it just helps more people find the show, helps more guests find the show, and it just brings more stories to you. So thank you again for your time. It's Friday, so have a swell weekend. See you later. Bye.